let's talk through Joshua 8. This is uh, coming on the heels of um, the battle at Ai when uh, they got defeated by a much uh, smaller entity because of the sin of Achan. That's been found out. That's been discovered. That's been dealt with. Uh, And so now, in chapter 8, verse 1, we see the old familiar words that were missing in chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Joshua, remember in in chapter Mm 7, they never consulted God about how to go up against AI. They just had their own ideas. Uh, And we talked last week how if if God isn't in it, it, good luck. The the best you got is the best you got. Uh, And so now the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. What do you think that reminded Joshua of? Yeah, the theme of the entire book. Go back to Joshua 1. The theme of the whole book. That's how this whole thing started. Verse 6, verse 7, verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, and so it's, it, it's significant that God starts with those words again. One, God knows what we need to hear, and he's real faithful to give us what we need to hear. Um, it amazes me how many times people tell me after church, you know, you said dot, 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 and I don't think I said what they think I said, but it's exactly what they needed to hear, and I think God kind of takes what I say and translates it for their ears to be what they need to hear. Um, but it's also it's also God saying, hey, Joshua, d- d- don't don't walk ahead of me. Like, I've got what you, don't walk ahead of me. Remember, this is how we started. This is how it has to, has to stay. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And he says, take the whole army with you. Last time, how many people did they take with them? A few thousand. I mean, because it wasn't a big deal. Because they feared in their strength, they could do it. And God is saying, look, I don't care what you think of your strength. You need to know whether with few or by many, it's by me. And so he says, take the whole, take all of them with you uh, so that you don't think that by your strength you did it because you didn't need me. Now, it's interesting because later, you know, when Gideon is is leading the army, God keeps whittling that number down to 300. He says, you got too many, I'm going to lose. Here he says, no, no, now you started with too few, I need to take everybody. Because if you did it with a few, you would think you did it of your own might. And so I just want you to include everybody in this. Go and attack AI. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So he says, I want you to take everybody, go attack Ai. He says, for I have delivered. Remember how God speaks in the, in the doneness of the event, not the doing of the event? Says I've already given them to you. It's a it's a done fact. That's something we always have to remember about God. He speaks in the doneness of the act, not the doing of the act. Why? Because as we talked about already, He's the beginning and the end. He's the first line. He's already done. And so He speaks to Joshua and says, "Look, this is a done thing. Now follow my direction, so you can experience the doneness of it. I've already given you your hands." 
You'll do the king of Ai as you did to Jericho and his king, except, this is a part to underline, except that you may carry off their what? Treasure. Yeah, their plunder and livestock for yourselves. What was it? What was Achan's sin? Do you remember in chapter 7? Yeah, he saw it as plunder. And at that time, it wasn't plunder. It was things dedicated to God uh, in Jericho. That's what he wanted in Jericho because um, he saw it as plunder. Um, this time, God says, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to give you the plunder along with it. It's interesting to me that God had always had in mind to give them plunder, um, to give them what Achan tried to take. Mm-hmm. Had Achan just knew the character of God, that God is a God who desires to bless and who desires to give, sometimes that comes after denial. I want you to deny some things before I give you things. I want you to say no to you so you can say yes to me. Um, the reason Achan tried to take the plunder from Jericho is because he didn't have faith that God was the God of blessing. Had he just waited, God was going to give them more than what he took, right? I mean, he took some gold, some silver, and a robe. Give me a break. It's like Liberace. Like, that's all. (laughs) You took Liberace stuff? You got a whole city here. That God's going to deliver into your hands and it's plunder. See, when God withholds something, it's for our good, and God always multiplies it later. Achan didn't know that. And so God is saying, look, I'm going to give to you more than what Achan tried to take. If y'all just wait on me, I've got good uh, and not harm for you. And it just just reminds me that, um, that if I'll wait on God's timing, and if I'll allow him to tell me no for some things, it's going to be for my good and it's going to be blessed later. Uh, so Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully, he said. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. Uh, all of you be on the alert. And I, uh, I and all those with me will advance on the city And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they're running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up and ambush uh, and take the city. Or you rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. So you, you see the battle plan here, right? He sends a whole contingency behind the city or to the side of the city. They march out against the city. The king and the military see them coming, and what do they think? That's all there is. Same thing over again. Yeah, we took care of these guys already. (laughs) They're back for more. We whooped them once. They're back for more. Who do they think they are? They come out to the city. Josh says, when they come out, we'll run away. That'll build their confidence. They'll chase us, and you all slip in and take over the city. Pretty good strategy, right? Pretty good strategy. It's a great military strategy. Can you believe that there are, there are some people who charge God with um, deceit? 
He said, well, isn't, I, I've, I've, read, I've read the commentaries. <laughs> they said, well, isn't this trickery on God's part? Isn't this deceit? I thought his heart isn't deceitful. <laughs> and I think, you people are idiots. <laughs> God brings a victory, but they still got to be strategic. And this is a great stra- military strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, the, the interesting thing to me, too, in this passage is that this is, ex- except for the ambush part, this is what happened the first time they went up against it. They march against it. The people come out. They fight them. They get defeated. Great defeat. And they run off with their tails between their legs. This time, it looks like the exact same defeat's going to happen, but God's going to turn it into victory. And when I was reading this, my mind went back to Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who love him and call according to his purpose. Um, it looks like defeats at their hands again, but God's going to work it together for their good. So verse nine, then Joshua sent them off and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait behind, uh, between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Verse 10, early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all those in the camp to the north of the city, uh, and the ambush to the west of it the night Joshua went into the valley. Okay, so that's that all 5, set up. 5,000 different people in a different area for ambush? Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was yeah, and, and and if you try to map this out, it gets really confusing mm-hmm. with the north and the west and the and, and this five thousand that five. It gets pretty confusing to figure out exactly how it all went down. Uh, but verse fourteen, when the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle, just like they you know had done, thinking this is how this is going to go down, at a certain place uh, overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the desert. Verse 16, all the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel uh, who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Now, before the first attack on Ai... All the people of Ai and the whole surrounding uh, area, remember their hearts melted in fear because they had heard what God had done, getting the, his people out of Egypt, crossing the Jordan, what did to Jericho, so their hearts melted in fear. The moment we talked about this last week, they lost that first battle Ai, God's, the, the Israelites' hearts melted in fear, and all the other hearts were emboldened, right? So now... These people have no fear of God, no respect for God's name, no fear of God's activity, intervention, or provision. Uh, and, and this is the interesting thing to me. The moment they no longer feared God nor his power, that's what brought on their destruction. What did they do? They figured, we don't have anything to fear of God nor his people. We're going to run out of the city. Did they even bother locking the doors? No. This is what pride does. This is what arrogance does. This is what hubris does. This is what happens when you don't fear the Lord. 
You think you've got, you're untouchable. You think you're untouchable. The fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1, 7. I've I've heard so many people say, well, he doesn't mean like be afraid of him. Well, actually, he kind of does. When you come against that kind of power, you ought to be a little bit afraid. Like, it's like electricity. As long as electricity is contained in that little box on the wall, I don't have a problem flipping that switch. But the moment you ask me to come in contact with that electricity, now I'm petrified. Earlier we had, or in, in the bad Bible, um, it, it used worship as a synonym for fear. And it can be. Yeah. And it can be. But I'm telling you, you come before God in worship, there ought to be some fear and trepidation. <laughs> Just think about this. Whenever an angel showed up, well, even with Mary, because said, don't be afraid. When an angel showed up, people were petrified. Nowhere in the Bible does an angel show up and people are like, oh, an angel. I feel good. They're frightful. So why wouldn't God be? Right? Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or wisdom. Like, like the wisdom starts when we're with the fear of the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. Uh, let me just read it real quick. Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. It was talking about the branch that will come from Jesse. The spirit of, the, of, of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Like this idea of the fear. We don't have a good sense of what it is to fear the Lord. We've been brought up. With, with, with the idea, and there's part of it that's very true, that, that Jesus is our friend, that he's our, our comforter, the actual Holy Spirit is our comforter, uh, that, that he's our, our shepherd, that, that God is our shepherd, and Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, and all that's true. But what we've grown up without is the awesome reverence of a completely other, other who is God, who can't only destroy the body, but can destroy the soul in hell. We've not grown up with the fear of the Lord as a good thing. And the Bible says that this branch from Jesse, this chosen one, the Messiah, will delight in the fear of the Lord. Take delight in that. Because of how holy and how other, how powerful and how awesome. And it's in the delighting in the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. So if we don't fear the Lord, we're on real shaky ground of being able to grow with wisdom and knowledge. And so these people, no fear of the Lord, right? So they don't even lock the gates. 
Verse 18, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this whole passage, but there are three, three portions I'm going to come back to. That's one of them right there. The Lord said to Joshua, Hold out toward Ai the javelin that's in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin toward Ai. Verse 19, as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set on fire. Now, just understanding the context, there's no way that the people in ambush saw Joshua holding up his hand. One, they were so far away. Two, there are people all around. There's a battle going on. So obviously I had lookouts, you know, that would send up the smoke signal that he held up the devil. And the, the word would be passed. And once they got word, then they would go in. Uh, the men of Ai looked back and saw that smoke from the city was rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men of the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with the Israelites on both sides. Is, here's the next portion I want you to remember. Israel cut them down leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. Now let me keep reading. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. Here's the last part. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock plunder of the city, and the Lord had to start to Joshua. At the beginning of the battle, God says, Joshua, take your javelin, hold it out. Once he did that, they start the, they start the battle to take over Ai. They destroy everybody in Ai. Javelin still held up. They take the king as well. Jabin still held out. Joshua didn't draw back his hand until everything had been. They go back into the city to burn everything. He didn't draw back his hand until, until everything had been destroyed. Does that remind you of the biblical Bible students? Does that remind you of anything? Moses had a battle where he had to hold out his rod. And they, as long as to hold they him up. Ex, out, yes, Exodus 17. Exodus 17. He was up on the hill, and as long as he held up his hands down below, they won. The moment he got tired and the hands came down, they started losing. Hold his hands back up. They start winning. The moment they fall down, they start losing. So two come, hold up his hands. They brought him a rock so he can sit down on. You know, he's an old man. He can't stand up that long. Uh, And held up his hands. Who was the one leading the battle down below? Joshua. 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 So this is like full circle for Joshua. He's all, I've been here before. I, this makes sense. I, I know my God. The moment I think in Joshua, the moment God said, hold up your staff, Joshua goes, oh, I've been here. This isn't exactly it, but I know the God who holds up hands. I know this God. And this God wins. And somewhere in Joshua's mind, I, I know he's thinking, I'm not putting this thing down until it is done. Because I experienced it when it started falling. I'm going to, right? I'm going to raise up holy hands. 
until God delivers. Right? I think it's just so... Very much so. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. This part gets me. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body off the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. This goes back to God's command in Deuteronomy 21. uh, In verses 22 and 23. When he says, anyone that's hung on a tree should not be left there overnight because that would bring a curse on them. And so out of respect to God's law that God gave to God's people, Joshua honors the king of Ai, who was not part of God's people or under God's directive. And to me, this speaks to Joshua the quality of man that he is, that he is faithful to God's word regardless of the situation or person. Mm-hmm. And but what did Joshua care if this guy was, except he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't beholden to the man, he was beholden to the God. And so he was going to do what the word said regardless of who we're talking about. He was going to honor God's word regardless of who we're talking about. Now, translation for us, Um, There are people in our lives uh, that we would rather not treat according to the grace of God's word. Right? Because we know what they've done. We know who they are. We know how they've treated. Uh, And and when when I look at people like Joshua, he says, you know, it doesn't matter about the man. It matters about the word. Even if I don't, even if they don't deserve it, which is funny for any person to say, because who of us does deserve the grace of God? And he treats the person according to the grace of the word rather than the worthiness of the person. I think there's a lesson there. Verse 30, then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied the stones of the law of Moses, which, had been, which he had written. All Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials, and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were the Levites. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Now, this harkens back to Deuteronomy 27. And in Deuteronomy 27, Moses commands them, when you go into the promised land, have half the people stand on one side and half on the other, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and read both the curses and the blessings. Um, Now, Moses didn't get to do that because he died up on top of Mount Nebo before they entered the promised land. So now they're in the promised land, and Joshua does exactly 
as Moses had commanded them to do, half of the people on Mount Gerizim, half of Mount Ebal. Now, those, the half of the tribes that stood on Mount Gerizim read aloud and, and, and repeated the blessings of God. The other half of the, of the tribes stood on Mount Ebal and repeated and read the curses that would come. Um, I don't know. Um, but the, the idea behind that is you choose for yourself. I've set before you life and death. You choose blessings or cursings. And in a, in a profoundly visual and symbolic way, half stand on the side of blessings, half stand on the side of cursings. Uh, as Joshua reads the entire law of Moses. Are both At, sides hearing Joshua? Oh, yeah. 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 So, so both sides can they're close enough that both sides can hear the Joshua. blessings and the cursings. Okay. Afterward, verse 34, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. Um, just real quick. Everybody heard all the law. A couple things that I, that I want to I, I want to drive home. Um, all scripture is God breathed and inspired. Uh, and 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 we need to at some point hear all of it. Um, and that's why it's good for us to do what we're doing, going through systematically through through the Bible and. It'll take us our entire lives and we'll, we'll not have read it all. But, but you, we always come back to this. Every part of this is, is inspired by God. Uh, and we need to be in the totality of this. Just not the fun stuff. Just not that Jesus loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life stuff. Uh, but the blessings and the curses to know. God has set before us and we get to choose. Um, but the other thing, when I look at this, the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and the what? The children. The children. Deuteronomy 31, 12, and 13. Deuteronomy 31, 12, and 13. This is Moses and the reading of the law. Uh when all Israel comes and appear before the Lord your God, the place he will choose, you shall read the law before them in their hearing. This is, he's telling them what they have to do, what they're doing right now. He says this in verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women, and children, and the aliens living in your towns. So they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God. So... Gather them together, read it, make them hear it all, all of it, so that they can listen and they can learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully the words of this law. It's not just enough to hear it. We have to let it impact us and not just make us feel good about how much God loves us. But, but first of all, it has to cause us to fear out of reverence the Lord our God so that 
will follow carefully all the words of the law. If there's no fear of God, there's no following of God. I mean, th- think about it. What, one, of the, one, of the, uh, one of the great motivators for people is fear and pain. Mm-hmm. Not, not that we live in, oh, I don't want to get close to God, but I know what happens when I live outside of God's commands. And I'm scared to death to go down that path because of the destruction I bring on my own. Not that God's going to level his judgment against me. He's already done that against Christ. But I'm fearful of reaping the ramifications of a life outside of his law. I mean, just as I shared before I started this Bible study, my friend is experiencing that. So fear God so that you'll follow. And then verse 13, there are children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. It's so interesting to me that he makes the point, all those kids, you've got to read it to them. You've got to teach it to them. You've got to drive it home so that they will grow up fearing this God. So, there's, so they won't walk away from him. Like, he, he is so in love with us. I don't fear him because I fear he doesn't love me. I don't fear him because I think he's going to lower the boom against me. I have so much respect for him because he loves me so much. I don't want to disappoint him. And I don't want to reap the natural ramifications that come from living outside of his will. Because he set this whole thing up. And, 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 and because of who he is, his incredible love for me and his incredible benevolence and sovereignty. Boy, that causes me to respect him and honor him and fear him. And I don't want to live outside of his good, his goodness. But it's interesting to me that Moses makes the point. Um, you better tell all those adults. It's their job to teach it to their kids, make their kids hear it and learn it. Because they're going to grow up not hearing it. They're going to grow up not learning it. And they're going to grow up not fearing me. Is that what happened maybe to the Israelites when they kept falling away from the Lord? In Judges? Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's certainly part of what happened to them, absolutely. And it's part of what happens to us. Right. I mean, well, yeah. it's interesting to me that, Ed, that statistically you go back to, to as, we've been, as, as we uh, have, been, have been keeping track of, of, uh, of generations and starts naming generations, you know, from the pioneers to the builders, the boomers, the Gen X and millennials and Gen Z and all that stuff. If you look um, at the spiritual uh, temperature of our nation, and I'm not taking people who, are, who actually love the Lord and are committed. I'm talking about those who claim the name Christian in every generation the percentage that claims the name Christian is reduced by 50%. In every generation since, since nearly the turn of the century in, in the 1900s or, or 1920s. Every generation reduced by... So in the, the last generation, there were about 4%. Extrapolate that out. 4%. 
And it's not because there aren't churches around. I go back to this. Those parents better tell their children to know this law. They got to hear it. They got to learn it. So they learn to fear yep. the Lord. Yep. Someone should have told those parents. Someone should have told those parents. It's well, like it's, it's like this thing just appeared here. <laughs> if only Deuteronomy 31 would have been around back then. So anyway, that's Joshua 8. I had to rush through it a little bit just because uh, thank you for letting me give you a little bit about the whole uh, thing earlier. But um, anyway, Joshua 8. We good?